Hello, my fellow wrenches and wrench turner leaders. Welcome back to the Wrench Turners Podcast, the show that's about improving the life, well being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I'm your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder and CEO of Wrench Turners Podcast and WrenchTurners.online, a business providing content and digital products for service leaders and mechanics everywhere. Digital products like the Wrench Turners Wellness Survey, a product that helps service leaders diagnose the challenges of the mechanics working environments, and the reverse interview, a product that helps drive new mechanics to your store. On today's show, I get to talk to a high school dropout turned automotive SaaS founder, Jim Bernasek, CEO and co-founder of Chameleon Limited and Time AI. In today's Wrenchner's episode, we talked about unfiltered honesty, SDPM and SPM, that's a mouthful, but you you need to hear it, and talking to your foreman. Let's get into it. Jim, tell us, what's your story thus far, and what is the reason that you got into automotive? So the reason why I got into automotive was pretty simple. Um, I, I think as I told you uh, previously, uh, in short, I had my son at a very young age, right? Um, I, I had my son at 17 years old, so I ended up dropping out of school. And when I dropped out of school, I basically needed to do something. And I was, you know, went to a, a independent store that was just a, a Will Ray Automotive, which was in Chicago. So it's a it's an independent tire shop, repair shop, all that. So I went there to you know started cleaning the floors. Uh, Joe Hubiar, who was a great uh, great owner, ended up going on to owning some dealerships too. Um, he ended up kind of mentoring me a little bit, and he was you know he kind of um, facilitated me to get out of just cleaning the shops and cleaning the tools to actually doing tires and then doing some stuff right and as we went through that he kind of got me a little bit into the front end side to you know talking to some customers doing all that kind of stuff and then he encouraged me and helped me pay to go to uh, community college to actually do the uh, you know get my you know certificate and all that kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. So I ended up working my way through that, going through all that. And then uh, about two years later, he uh, he knew the uh, service director at the Toyota store in in, uh, countryside, Illinois. And he had said, hey, you need to go work for there because I think you're 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 going to be a lot better than what we have here. Right. And I was like, oh, okay." So I ended up going there working on it was just an apprentice technician, you call it. I was a, a very. Uh, you know, very proud technician. You know, I had my certificate there ready to go. I think I had just bought my snap on box. I paid probably way, way too much for, you know, at that time. As we all do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was like, oh man, the truck guy comes in, I'm spending a ton of money. You know, like, Hey, look at this man, you know, and, and we got it. So, so the story that I always tell people is, is how I ended up getting into what I'm in is I kind of owe it all to the service director there. In, in, a, in a funny way, though, because so I was there again for like six months and his name was Bill and just a, a, a crotchety old man. Right. He really was. But he was he was fantastic with people, but but really kind of, you know, just grouchy. And, and, you know, you had to take him a certain way. Well, he comes around. And he says, hey, Jimmy, come here for a second. 
And back then, you know, you could smoke in the shop and do all whatever you're doing. So we're walking through the shop and he's like, hey, I want you to do, do you own a tie? And I'm like, no, you know, I'm 19 years old. I'm like, no, I don't, not really, but I can get one. Why? What's going on? He's like, well, I want you to come in tomorrow and I want you to come in and I want you to uh, go up front and I want you to write service with Rob. And I'm like, write service. I'm like, I'm a technician. And he's like, he goes, nah, I want you to come in tomorrow and I want you to write service with Rob. I'm like, I'm not right. I'm, I'm, I'm not writing service. I'm not going up there. I'm, I got my new snap on toolbox. I got all this stuff. I'm like, no, I'm a technician. So anyway, he's like, no, I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. And I'm like, I'm kind of mad. Yeah, I'm 19. I'm just like, you know, uh -huh. hey, what, you're being told yeah, what to do as a 19 year old man. I, I know exactly how what's going through your brain. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, no, this is what you hired me to do. And I'm, I'm going to be a technician. So about a half hour later, he comes back after I finished the car and he, he puts his arm around me and he says, so what'd you, what'd you think? And I said, no, I'm not doing it. And he goes, all right, Jimmy, he goes, I love you. Let me, let me tell you something real quick. He goes, this might be hard to hear, but he goes, you suck as a technician. And I was like, wow. Oh. That the, okay. the, the harsh reality of someone actually I mean, saying he, he legitly said, you suck as a technician. He goes, here's the deal. You're never going to make any money because one, he goes, you, you try to, you're, you're so clean. You wash your hands every single time oil gets on there. You walk over there to wash your hands and then go finish it. Then go back and wash your hands. You triple check yourself, which is great. But the problem is you're never going to make any money because you're always doing all these things and it takes you a long, long time to do this. He goes, however, though, what I have seen though is the service advisors always bring the customer back there to talk to you about tires, about brakes and about all that kind of stuff because you end up educating them. And I see you talking to the customers and it does, you, you do a very good job with that. He goes, so I think you need to transfer over to that section uh, you know, from here. So, so that started my career as a service advisor. And then, you know, obviously just kind of worked my way up. Um, that was 19. I did that till I was about 23 and then got my first service manager job, uh, right at about 23 running that store, um, which was, you know, fantastic. And then just kind of progressed up and, and getting in there. So the, the, the love of it really in the beginning is like everybody, I, I was 17. I had a, I think a IROC Z Camaro back then. And I used to replace the radio, you know, every now and then I, you know, I'd put window tint or whatever on my car. So I was uh -huh. a mechanic, right? I, I just knew it. I, I knew I could do whatever it was, maybe, maybe fixed an, an oil leak or something here and there. So I knew I was a mechanic, but, um, and obviously it didn't work out that way, but <laughs> that's how, that's what got me into the industry. So <laughs> awesome. It's, you know, it takes, you know, as crotchety as you describe this individual, this leader, but being able to watch those on his team well enough to realize that, yes, you do care that, yes, uh, you would make a, you know, you're, you're being a mechanic, you would make a, a decent mechanic, but you're not going to be in a mechanic that's going to thrive and understanding mm -hmm. and being able to communicate because genuinely that's an empathetic uh, line right there. You're, you're, oh, yeah. it's great that you triple check stuff, but those who triple, triple check aren't as confident in what they are doing. If you have to triple check that you're doing something, you're not confident in what you're doing and you don't have the luxury. 
you don't have the time you don't have the time or the time luxury to be able to triple check shit it's it's either got to be right the first time you do it or it's not right it's it's one yeah, it's one or the other you don't have time to you're triple. so right yeah you're so right that confidence is key right and that's that's the biggest thing and there's that fine line between being confident and trying to beat the clock all the time right and then going too fast but you have to understand it and what i find with uh, and this is why most most of the people as as i grew in leadership and grew with multiple stores i, I had you know as top uh, top 20 uh, uh or top 40 sorry top 40 auto group that i you know ended up running i mean i i had technicians you know at every different level you know every different brand basically and i could tell you the good ones they had a process right it, their process was that they was always, hey, this is what I do. Here's how I do it. And I don't deviate from that process. And I, I follow my steps and, and they're confident in what they do. And, and I think that by having that process, it builds them up, right? It builds that confidence up. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's something that, yeah, I obviously didn't have at that point, but then going into the, uh, advisor side, I had the confidence, you know, to talk and do all that. So I, all these technicians will tell you that anybody that, um, I ever worked with or had, I, I, I was different. You know, you get all these managers that are always, Hey, we're, you know, we, we beat on the text, we beat on the text, we beat on the text, you know, to, to get more work done, get more work done. But the problem is, is that, you know, what you have to realize is I had so much respect for them because one, I was told that I could not do it. And I, and I realized after that he's right. I did not have that, you know, I did not have the ability that what these technicians do to be able to diagnose and, and go down that path of all that stuff that just wasn't in me to do that. So I have a ton of respect for technicians and I always have. That's awesome. And and really what you're hitting the nail on the head there that uh, there are key traits. We talked about personality traits on SDL last week and I, and I wrote a bit of an article about it. And But confidence and I, I, I quantify it more as uh, arrogant um, because there's a line there, that, that cocky, arrogant, confident line. You have to almost err. Confidence as a technician has to almost err on the side of arrogance because you have to be able to cut the bullshit out that's around you to get the jobs done. You have to be cocky enough to say, I can get that done, even if they've never done it before. And there's that air of it. And the really, really, really great ones are the ones that are uh, confident airing on the side of arrogant, but you don't know that it's arrogance. It's that, that they're empath they're able to communicate empathetically they have teams around them that listen they've got you know there's techs around the btics and ctechs around them that want to listen and learn from those people because they're always crushing it like they're the the 80 90 hour a week uh techs consistently on flat rate you know they might have a bad week here and there if they happen to get a uh, a really challenging diagnostic or a really challenging warranty labor time on on let's say a, a long block or whatever the case may be but those are the ones that we want want to further and promote and somehow copy uh, as mentors because we want to cherish that, cherish their experiences and try and uh, devote that to the rest of the team, right? You've seen and grown teams around you. You know that those are the top tier unicorns that you want to, if you could hit the copy paste button, you would. And creating mentors out of them is the best way to, to not only keep your staffing full 
Like you want your team full at all times, but having someone like that, that's willing to lead, that's willing to mentor, that's capable of doing that and turning hours, that's a, that's a invaluable asset, right? Absolutely. So I, you know, and I had a, um, a shop foreman uh, one time that was absolutely taught me a ton too. And, and I, I'll tell you the story on, on, it was really surprising to me. And I love when people kind of go outside the box on things and think, you know, differently. So we had kind of put together, I had I promoted this shop foreman and he was in the position for probably, oh, I don't know, two, three months, let's say. And we had we had kind of got a uh, relationship together with uh, a local school, right? To have these, you know, technicians uh, technicians that wanted to be technicians come in. They'd come in for you know probably two three hours at the end of the day um, for maybe two three days out of the week, right? And kind of work through it. So this tech this uh, shop foreman he would always do something, and when he got these new technicians in. Um, he would he would sit them in the conference room by themselves and he would he would have puzzles. Literally, he went out and bought a puzzle and he, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I want to see how I want to see how they do. And I'm like, what do you what do you what do you mean by giving him a puzzle? I mean, you're giving him a puzzle of this thing. He goes, he goes, let me tell you something. I've been around technicians for, you know, 20 something years. And he goes, the good technicians love puzzles and know how to how to how to remember pieces and put them back together and and can kind of conform them you know that shape of that puzzle without even really looking at the the box and the the cover and he goes the ones that can do that he goes i know they have the ability to actually be a really good technician it was really surprising to me because it was something new that i've never you know never really but it makes sense though if you think about it because what technicians do being able to put something you know take something apart and put it back together it really did make sense to me on how he did it and he really thought outside the box on that side um which was really really cool and he you know so i did a lot in in his stores um in the stores that i had i was always the exact opposite and every time I go into a store, let's say I take over a new store and I'd go in and the service manager would, you know, uh, we'd have this shop foreman that was the shop foreman that was there for 30 plus years. He was the grumpiest old guy that you could you could imagine, hated life. And, you know, he could he could turn hours if he really wanted to. Right. But it was just he really didn't turn a whole lot of hours. Well, they always they always moved that person into the shop foreman role. And in my mind, I always was the exact opposite. I'm like, absolutely not. That's not my shop foreman. What I want is I want the shop foreman that has that fantastic attitude, uh, just a happy go lucky. Hey, there is no problem in the world that we can't solve and just wants to be there for anybody that can that that wants to be in that shop and be part of that team. Right. Because part of a shop foreman role is too, is if you, you can agree with this, hopefully is, is recruiting, right? Is recruiting because you want that tech. Last thing that you want is these young kids that are coming into this, in the, into this shop and they see this guy that just hates life and is like, man, that's what I'm going to look forward to. Right? Yeah. He makes good money, but that's what I got to look forward to. I don't want to look forward mm -hmm. to that. I want to look forward to this guy over here that, you know, He's, you know, he's efficient at everything he does. He's, he's always, you know, always happy trying to help everybody out. That's what you want to do. And I think shops make that mistake 
by saying, hey, I got this guy that's got a lot of good diagnostic, you know, uh, you know, mentality, all that, and I'm going to make them the shop foreman then. And I think that's, a, I think that actually hurt our industry for, for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I agree that the concept that uh, a non-productive foreman is a drain on resources in the service department is, I think, a misnomer. It It is a literal drain on expenses because they're not producing work, right? You've got uh, probably a, a 40, maybe even $45 an hour equivalent salary, uh, non-productive foreman, it's really hard for uh, a small to medium store to justify that kind of expense, right? Because you're not going to get a technician capable of solving anything that comes in the door, solving any challenge that any tech in the rest of the team has without that kind of investment, maybe even $50 an hour. If if you can get somebody off flat rate that's producing eight to 10 hours a day consistently, you're not going to get them for less than a hundred grand a year. The same token, that same person is going to be looking for personal development, professional development, things like that, which costs money. They're looking for that next step up. What's my next step up from the bench? Well, maybe shop foreman or or uh, to service management because somebody like that's not likely going to go to the service drive. Not necessarily the case. It happens, but they're not necessarily going to go to the service drive. They want to go to service management before they go to the service drive. So having a non-productive foreman be that that positive lift in the shop, it's it's very difficult to quantify it literally um, and directly, but if you look at 30, 60, 90, 180 day progressions of labor times, if nothing else in the ch in the shop changes, but you can walk in and notice that there's immediate morale change and immediate ethic change, people want to come into work. And secondly, you start getting uh, you start getting uh, resumes and cover letters and, and applications in to fill your team because now all of a sudden you have a leader that's on the shop floor talking to the entire team, lifting the entire team up, being there as a supportive uh, a supportive member, that goes a long way to productivity. It goes a long way to longevity and churn. Um, those are invaluable things that you can't necessarily put a direct correlation to. But it, uh, I've attested that if you invest in a non-productive foreman, you should see a two to three X payout on their salary. If you're not seeing a, almost a literal productive output on your shop as a year, you're probably either don't have a shop foreman that's right for this shop or they just aren't a good shop foreman. A good shop foreman will give you that lift. I'm sure that you've seen it. I've seen it. I've, I've seen a shop literally on its head from going from a poor shop foreman to a great shop foreman. It's it's you can you could almost cut it with a knife in the shop, right? So. No, you're absolutely yeah. right because that I, I think that's part of the the part of the misconception and and what a lot of these let's call them well I'll pick on GMs today with for this right because the GMs really don't understand that sometimes and they we all the the holy grail of the gross profit percentage right that's what we mm -hmm. all go for and don't get me wrong it's a very very important number as every number in our industry is important but at the end of the day though that productive i i always cautioned as a consultant and everything when i walked in and i'd see this shop foreman well they call him a shop foreman but yet a part of his pay plan he still had to be 100 productive right well okay so how is that person going to help 
and go and do all the other things outside there and make sure that we're recruiting people in. We're making sure these guys are happy, right? We're making sure that the tools in the shop are there, right? Because the things mm -hmm. that we don't see and we don't understand are those things like, hey, every time a technician goes to the tools, uh, the, you know, the tool room, is that tool there? Is it in the right place? Is it has it been broken for four months and we didn't know about it, right? Because nobody tells you about it. Well, these shop foremans, all of those things come into effect and create efficiencies that we don't see we're losing by not having that shop foreman that's, you know, that is actually in there. And and you're absolutely right. We we have to make sure that if we're gonna if we're gonna put these shop foremans into a productive role and make sure that they are producing then you're 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 really going to you're going to see the negative effect continue on later and you're 100%. never going to see the true power of what that you're never going to you're not you're never going to see the true power of that shop foreman either it's just never going to happen agreed there there are so many little things like one of the, the some of the things that are on the registry wellness survey are almost all completely alleviated with a non-productive foreman if you like mm -hmm. when when technicians respond to the survey and they give zeros to uh, I can perform at my best zero, uh, the tool room is adequately supplied zero, uh, the communication devices in the shop are adequate zero. When those things are zeros in the shop, you have a non-productive foreman. They can do updates. They can do software updates. They can they can they'll they can you know do a once a week round of all of the laptops or all of the 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 iPads or whatever and say make sure everything's updated. Make sure it's working tip top so that everybody goes to video MPI. It's ready to rock. They don't have to do an update before they do an MPI. They can go to the laptop, make sure all this Windows is update and all the software for GM is is updated. That way they can go in and and be as as effective as possible when they pick up that laptop to do a diagnostic. They can be doing this tool room with the apprentices, making sure that the tools are put back every day, making sure the the AC machine works as clean as is ready to rock. A non-productive foreman alleviates the three to five of the things in the top 10 for the wellness survey, a, a non-productive foreman fixes, just fixes. And if they're not fixing it, it means you also have a non-productive foreman not doing their job or they're not the right suited to that role, right? And I think as service leaders out there that have had poor foremen get the distaste in their mouth like a poor tech, it's the same It's the same thing. If they're not doing their job, you think, ah, foremen aren't worth it. Well, have a great foreman and see what happens. It's just as positive, if not more positive than it is detrimental to the shop. You get a really bad foreman, you take the entire shop down exponentially, but you have a really great foreman, it's exponentially better for the shop, right? They can be that figure that people go to to talk to and it's not necessarily just, you know, I'm having difficulty diagnosing this misfire on this 2023 Chevy. Like it's a, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm gonna be late tomorrow morning. Why? It's like, uh, I gotta take my kid to school. All right, don't worry about it. What do you mean don't worry about it? It's like, I'm gonna be late. It's like, don't worry about it. I, I know you, you come in, you're consistent, you work hard. I, I don't care if you're 15 minutes late because you have to take your kid to school, just get her done. When you get in, see me so I can write on your ticket. It's like, all right, thank you. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Like, what are you struggling with? Well, I can't figure this out. What are you actually struggling with? Being able to to take the minute to breathe, to listen and have that conversation with somebody who truly needs that conversation. 
a non a productive foreman, one that has any quota at all of producing work is never going to say that. And if they do, it's harming themselves. And if they do have a productive quota of their part of their salary or their compensation, the rest of the team is going, are they telling me this because they just need to get back to work? Are they don't do they not care simply because they got to put their money in? Are they getting the better jobs because they can and they have the influence? Right. Those are the kinds of questions that come up when you as soon as you put any productive uh, quota on a on a foreman. So, well, let me, let me what would you say? What would you say is the biggest detriment to that? Right. What would you say is the biggest detriment? I, I mean, I would I, I would agree. So I'm going to I'm going to back up a little bit, though, if I can real quick, because I think I think the biggest problem with this is and it all stemmed in its service management right and i'm gonna mm -hmm. uh, get away from that shop foreman it's gonna tie back into it so it's the service management side right now that where the biggest issues come from and it's because of the fact that let's step back when i became a service manager back in the day right we didn't have all the service manager wasn't a a basically a glorified you know, you're a, a, an accountant, you're, you know, asked to do all this HR stuff, all this payroll stuff, all this stuff now, right? We, I didn't, we didn't have to do any of that, right? We were literally able to spend as much time with our people and going through stuff, whether it be the drive for a certain time, then the, you know, the shop and we had, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to go back to the handwritten, you know, repairs or the handwritten. Uh, <laughs> me yeah. either. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go back to that, but there was a certain level of consistency, right? And you were able to kind of see real quick and hold people accountable, but you didn't have all this outside stuff that was going on, right? So now mm -hmm. you get the manager's daily job duty by, by the time that by the time that service manager gets in the morning, you know, he's either got to get in or he or she's got to get in. Right. And be there at five o'clock in the morning if that shop opens up at seven to get all the reports done for the GMs, the factories, the the you know dealer principal, the accounting office. And then they're constantly going through, oh, wait, the building, you know, um, the AC's out in the shop and he's got to get that. Or even in the showroom, the sliding glass door isn't working. So the service manager's got to deal with all that stuff, right? Which really now is taking away from the leadership part of him or her actually leading that team, right? So what I've done is I've always in every single store, the two most important, every single person that, that worked for me, as a service manager, parts manager, you know, shop for any will tell you two most important people in my shop. That is the what I call the SDPMs, which is a service drive production manager. And then my shop foreman, which I technically call the shop production manager, the SPM, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are the two most important people in my shop because now that service manager has, but job descriptions are a, they can either be a killer or they can be a huge asset to our, our industry, right? And we don't create an absolute perfect job description for these people and say, this is what you handle. Here's how you're going to do this. We just blanket it like you had said before, right? Mm -hmm. Go back to that productive person because you could take the exact same thing for the S SDPM and the SPM, right? And you could say you can't really have both of them being more, more productive because the reason why they're the, the, the most important people is because that service drive production manager handles everything from the drive forward, right? And they take care of everything, all the customers that are coming in, the production that is on that service drive. So then the shop, the SPM, he handles everything in the backside of the shop. 
And my technicians, they always knew, hey, if there was an issue with parts, right? They go to the SPM, the SPM then goes and takes care of it so they can continue to work. And then if there's a dispute with the uh, service advisor or anything like that, that SPM goes to that uh, SDPM right there and then they handle it and then they communicate it down so that there's no loss of production from that service advisor to that technician in that shop because we're they're handling those two things and the service That's manager beautiful. i call i i call it the 80 20 rule right and if this gets screwed up this is where you got a problem the 80 20 rule is a service and parts manager they they need to be spending 80 percent of their time needs to be spent on tomorrow okay 20 mm percent -hmm. of their time needs to be spent on today now the SDPM and the SPM, 20% of their time needs to be spent on tomorrow, 80% of their time needs to be spent on today. And when you screw that up and you get lazy service managers then that start pushing a lot of that duties and all that stuff to the shop foreman, to the to the SDPM, all of a sudden that gets screwed up and then now your shop, you're, you're not, you, you got issues with, uh, you know, loading the shop, you got issues with appointments, you know, all that kind of stuff. You have a huge issue. So it really stems back from that service management that can hold that leadership structure in there and have job descriptions and hold them accountable. And I used to have a meeting, it was three times a day. I had one first thing in the morning, middle of the day, and then at the end of the night with those two people together, because then we every between us three, we knew everything that was going on in that shop and we could make a decision on what to do with it. Beautiful. That that that's our first mic drop there. I like how you've broken it down. I've I've not experienced this. I've not experienced this because in all the shops that I've been either a tech in led or in different roles because I, I was a tower at a, at a Mercedes store, a large Mercedes store. Um, we never had something like that. The shop foremen were always uh, fire. They're basically firefighters, full time firefighters, right? They ran all the co-op students and the and the apprentices and they ran all the challenging stuff, but they never did anything about production. That was completely devoted to, to us in tower to make sure that the shop was moving. Um, they used X time exclusively and hardcore. The service manager was on the ball every minute of every day. He knew how many appointments we were. We knew, he knew every car that was coming in the shop, whose car it was, knew everything about that in terms of total production but we didn't have somebody on the floor making sure um constantly that was in that role the shop foreman didn't do that we were doing that as tower but we were also trying to book work because we did all of that yep. we booked all of the work in tower the two of us for all the cars so like 120 130 cars a day we it was just two of us booking the work now the advisors finished and closed off uh, to make sure that their pricing was right if there was something communicated that wasn't already written on the work order, like if they had a, um, a discount to give or, you know, there was some touch up to do or, or something like that. But they always closed. But we did all the booking in service. So yeah. it was it's a little different. I like this SPM, S SDPM better because it means that you have somebody both in the drive and on the shop floor completely dedicated to making sure everybody gets work, everybody gets it done and dealing with the challenges of the people on the floor and you have and you have parts and a service manager making sure that tomorrow is supplied so that when tomorrow becomes today the SPM and SDPM are taken care of and they can do their job presently. And I like how yeah. you use the 80/20 rule in there. That's beautiful. I love using 80/20 rule because well, it's and, it's so effective. And the biggest thing is you think about this, it's all about efficiency, right? And it's mm -hmm. all about pushing so 
that SDPM, SPM, they're paid the exact same way. So mm -hmm. both of those two people are paid the exact same way. So they are, they're driving forces together. So now you, you know, this as, as being in the shop is as much as you are and, and, and being a good technician, what ends up happening is you get a service. Let's, let's go your typical route that you usually have, right? You have mm -hmm. your service advisors that are out there, they're writing up, then you might have an electronic dispatch system that, that, uh, dispatches, but that's only as good as the people that are watching it and going and getting the ticket and, and grabbing that, right. Or you have a dispatcher that is the, the angriest person in the world because it's the worst Usually. job in the world, I always say. It, you know, they're they're hated by everybody in a sense, right? But what happens is now all of a sudden you get this, let's let's call the service drive. We get we get it in here and we have two cars that are like, oh man, these we gotta get these cars in. You know, these are things that are priority. We gotta get these in. So they now call back to the SPM, they tell them, hey. I need to get these two in. Well, that SPM knows everything that's going on in that shop right now. And then he's like, all right, Johnny's got that car right there, but you know what? That can hold off real quick. So let's pull this one behind it. Let's pull that one in. They're doing that. Now you're not going back to that technician that is that is working on that one car and saying, hey, can you do this for me? And can you pull that in? Uh, you know, let me get it. Nope, you already got somebody that's already coming in and saying, hey, I already pulled the parts. I already pulled this ticket for you. I'm gonna park it right here, get started on this, get it done, and then we'll pull it out for you and get it done, right? And then on the flip side, if there's an open stall in there, which everybody will tell you that knows me, open stalls are a four letter word to me, right? If I walk through the shop and I got an empty stall, we, that, that's a problem. Why do, why do we have an empty stall in there, right? I don't care if it's a flat stall or not, it, it's a problem. So now that SPM is saying, what he's calling up to mike up front and saying hey i got two empty stalls so get me something i don't care what it is get me something i'm on it let me figure it out now they're going through whether it's used cars whether it's uh customer cars that are waiting that for parts we have them in there they're always making sure that those stalls are going and you have those two people concentrating on it right and then that service manager and parts manager are being briefed three times a day to make sure to see what they can do to help right what can mm -hmm. i do to help some things in you need me to do something go through there so there's a ton of communication in there so if stores don't do that they need to think about doing those positions a hundred percent and this this goes back to and you know you brought up how important service management is this goes back to my my number one rule when i coach technicians like if you're not making enough money you need to find a high value leader there is if if those of you turning wrenches listen to this right now and listen to what jim just said do you, do you feel the passion in his voice around? Do you understand that this gentleman is doing everything humanly possible to ensure that you're not just making your eight hours, you're making 10, 12, 15, 16 a day, making sure that every stall is filled, which means that somebody's making money, making sure there's a car parked behind. If you can, if you're capable of doing two at once like that, they're going to, a high value leader is going to make sure that there's enough people, resources and cars to make sure that you have uh, the money to be made right? Energy begets energy. When you have a high value leader, you're going to get high value output. They're going to be looking for things to make sure that not only are you producing, but, but you are doing the things that you are capable of doing well and finding ways to get you better at the things that you don't excel at and finding things that make you better at already better that you're already good at. So you can be exemplary technicians. High value leadership is the number one rule of every technician on this planet. If you are not making your eight hours in an eight hour day, you need to find a better leader. Bar none. Stop asking for a raise. Look for somebody who's capable of supplying you the work so that you can produce what you can produce better. 
then when you get really good at it and you find a high value, you'll also find that you don't need to ask for raises because high value leaders like Jim, like this gentleman sitting in front of me right now, aren't going to let you ask for a raise. They're going to be giving it to you because they're looking at the numbers. They're looking at what you produce and like, oh, shit, this guy did 16 hours a day for the last three months straight. Uh, time for a raise or I'm not going to get to keep this individual because they understand your value. Okay, that's that's just yeah. right. When you have somebody like an SPM and an SDPM looking at your production value every day, you know, taking care of that, your service manager is going to be able to look at the numbers every day. And when they look at the numbers like that and they see trends like that, they're going to take care of their crew. Absolutely. But, you know, when you think of what you talked about, the progression with technicians, right? The typical mm -hmm. technician, if you go down that path, they start off and then they go into, you know, they start off as, you know, an uh, express and then apprentice and then, you know, however, you know, every store is a little bit different how they have it. Right. Um, but how many shop foremans do you really think make it to a service manager role? Few. Not very few. Right. Because mm -hmm. of the fact that it's it's there's never that setup. But what this SPM role does now is it is giving them more because remember what I told you that they're doing. They're paid the exact same way as that service drive production manager, right? And they meet three times a day, but what are they going over? They're not just going over that, they're actually learning the financial statement because we're looking at the numbers, right? They're seeing that stuff. They understand, hey, how many cars, what's our throughput, right, percentage? What's our dollar per ticket that's coming in here, right? They, they don't never, those guys never hear any of that stuff. And they never, so when they go into interview for a, a service manager job, when it becomes available, all of a sudden these GMs start throwing out, well, what do you think is a good dollar per ticket? What do you think is a good, you know, uh, throughput percentage in the shop? What do you think is good here? They have no idea. Well, then they're all of a sudden, well, I don't want to teach these guys this. I don't want to do that, right? Well, that's because we put them at a disadvantage. So now I only, that's why we pretty much never really had an issue we always promoted within, we tried to as much as we could, right? And I can mm -hmm. pro I was I, with the group that I was with over the last eight years, we very, very rarely ever hired outside. We always promoted within because what did I have? I had two potential candidates in every single store that we could potentially pick and go to, right? And now you also have those people under them. They see in the shop that, ooh, okay, Johnny just got promoted and went over to the Volkswagen store as a service manager, it's a small store, but he got the opportunity now, right? So mm -hmm. now those people underneath them as a technician are like, wow, man, I want that position, right? I, how, what do I need to do to get up to that position, right? Well, number one is attitude. And I always say it, I don't care how much you book, I don't care what you have. Attitude is key to, to getting to that position. Because if you don't have, if you can't keep your composure, your composure comes when the fire is on, right? And I always tell them that. That's when I can tell exactly when somebody has what it takes because when you know it as well as I do, when all of a sudden you got 50 cars coming in at once and you got it, do you just break down and, and you know, do you either shut down or do you start screaming or do you say, hey, take a step back, let's dissect this real quick, let's look at what we got and let's push it through. Everybody stay calm. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to do it. And we're going to get it done. Those are the people that can get there. But now we have that tree that what I call that tree, that level that you're giving them that, that, that hope that if I do what I need to do, man, I don't have to stop at a shop foreman. 
I can become a service director. And then once you become a service director, you can become a fixed op director, right? And you can kind of go down that that path. And and you had talked about, you had brought up the whole money side. That's a whole different discussion on that mm-hmm. side, right? Because I, I I think the pay side is is what I hate in this industry. And we don't need to talk about this for very long. But what I hate is I hate what what I call um, and it's you're you're basically t- you're giving the ability it should the, the pay structure should never be put on one person individually. It should never it's an emotional pay pay raise right. And I never want any person whether it's an advisor but technician especially and I mean this is because I do not want the service manager to be able to dictate what a single person gets because that can be an emotional thing because you know I could have Johnny that has less experience okay and produces a little bit more but doesn't get the jobs but he also hangs out with Mike the service manager and he's making two dollars more an hour than Josh is at you know getting the harder jobs doing all this but josh is very quiet doesn't he just puts his head down and does it well the service manager doesn't hang out with them so now you got that emotional pay raise right because this person is dictating what they get and i take that out i i hate it it's based on hey how many how many certifications you have the experience that you have and then your performance bonus based on that and i don't care i don't care if you're a five-year technician or you're a 20-year technician guess what you're going to have the ability to make a ton of money if you do what you, what you're supposed to do. And that's part of the reason why section one of the renters wellness survey is completely devoted to production and income. I want to be able to long-term provide that information objectively back to service mm-hmm. leaders and technicians so that when I get enough data points in there, when, when enough technicians have submitted that I feel confident that I can publish some of this information for, for people to view, that a a 12 year experienced technician at GM in the state of Virginia and, and has five ASC certifications and their level three brand training done, that is a very niche technician. But now if I've got five to 10 technicians that are within that range in that filter, that becomes a viable objective income data point. That's no longer an emotional raise. That's no longer a subjective, you know, the the service manager's got 25 years in the business and this is what he's always paid technicians that are roughly this number, which in theory, if they're a high value leader, should be pretty close to my objective number, but it's still a person telling a person what they're worth. Not the uh, not the quasi jury of peers, right? If there are ten technicians in the state do that roughly uh, uh, parallel this individual's uh, experience and and uh, certifications and so forth, they should all be making the roughly the same, especially state and brand, right? If we start quantifying by state and brand, we're gonna get super close, right? So that's why section one of the the survey does that. I like how that you've. You've done your best to try and maintain that yourself to be as objective as you can yourself amongst the shop to, to try and remove the emotion out of income. It's really hard, right? It's really hard to take emotion out of income, isn't it? Well, it is because of the fact that you got to remember a service manager, service director, right? What they're getting beat up on expenses and they're getting on that. What I, what I call the, the holy grail of, of numbers that gross profit percentage, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, we're looking at this number and we're saying, okay, hey, 
I want you to make a decision. How is how how well does Johnny do? And typically, if you if you go through the stores and you always say that they go, how often do you review technicians? Man, let me tell you, I've been I've been doing this a long time. I've taken over a lot of stores and I've consulted a lot of stores, and they all say, oh, I, I review technicians all the time. I, we we got once a year we review. Well, first off, number one, if they tell me they review their employees once a year, that I know that store is 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 not running at a, at a performance it should be at, right? Because we're a performance-based business. You should be reviewing your people every single month. But what they believe is those reviews need to be, you know, a long sit down and, and this whole deal, right? Well, what happens when you do it once a, once a year? What happens when you review people once a year? Very little. It be it becomes an instant, oh, this might, I get my raise. Yep. Right? And you're almost expected to give them that raise because it's once a year, right? Mm -hmm. And they know that's when they get it, right? But why would you do that when you have a guy that maybe three, four months has been on a rolling, just killer trend, right? And just, he got three ASCs done in these last, you know, in these last three months. And he he went to this these three, four cl factory classes that are in there. But yet that person's gonna have to wait until that year and review to get a raise. There's no there, there's no reason for that, right? There's mm -hmm. no there, I mean it, it absolutely makes no sense to me. So you, you people we have to come up with again a a, a format that that is promoting per, that where it basically schools it to themselves, right? It, mm -hmm. it levels the playing field for everybody and they know exactly what they have to do when they do it. So they're coming to you and they're saying, Hey, yo, man, I get my raise tomorrow. Right? Absolutely, man. Awesome job. Exactly. You know, and, and that's and, the career path, that's right? That's a written and verbal that. career path that you're talking about. Right. Yes. Exactly. Right. And job description. It's, it's gotta be. It's, it's, and it's, and you go, you know, your, your and job description is really basic. Like what you're talking about is really simple, really easy but it's not done nearly well enough. When you get into things like talking about training and career paths, like when technicians come to me for coaching and, and they have the bravery and the courage to reach out to me for coaching. And most of the time it's just, it only, it only ever takes one question in one session. It's like, what makes you happy? Like, what does it make you happy? I think probably in the last three months I asked, I've asked every single, every single mechanic that's come to me for coaching. Uh, it's what makes you happy? Well, I like doing differentials. Well, just ask to do more differentials. How many differentials do you in the shop? Well, we're, we're in an area where there's lots of off-road guys and they come in, they blow rear diffs and they don't want to, they don't have the time, energy or whatever to do it on the weekend. You know, they'd like to go out and off-road on the weekend like Kaylee Filio was recently in a Bronco. They, they blow the diff yeah. or whatever the case may be. I'd like to fix all the diffs. Well, mm -hmm. have you told anybody to do that? No. Yeah. Well, yeah. And tell your foreman, tell your service manager that you want to do all the differential or at least all the driveline stuff, the transmission and driveline stuff to get better at all the driveline stuff. You're going to make more money. It's that, it's, it's yep, that simple. It, it can be that simple. And but when you're talking about service leadership, right? Having those those one-on-ones regularly, not once a year, regularly, you can be aware of those things in advance so you can start preparing for it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's and, and, and what I what I love about these discussions, because it always I, I always I, I and I, I have what I call the 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 Christmas tree. It's it's the upside down Christmas tree effect. Right. OK, so think about this in, in technician world. And I, I've, I've said this a number of times. 
So let, let's take, you know, how a Christmas tree goes like this, right? And you keep going up and, mm -hmm. and it gets skinnier at the top, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is you start down here and you got your, um, let's call it your $15, $18 an hour, you know, technician. And they're getting roughly, you know, they're, they're, they're probably at, you know, the, the breadth of work that they can do, the hours that they're making, they're making, let's call it 40, 50 hours a week, right? Let's, because they're very productive, they're doing well. Um, because they're getting all of that, what we call gravy work, right? They're getting mm -hmm. the maintenances that take very little time. And then they get their, they get a couple more ASEs, they get, you know, some more training, then they move up that level and now they're at 20. Well, if you remember the branches go, they get a little bit skinnier. So what happens is they start to lose a little bit more of that gravy work, right? And they get a little mm -hmm. bit harder work. Well, they got $20 an hour instead of the 15, but yet they went from 50 hours now to 45 hours, right? And then now they go up another level, they get their, their certifications, they get this, and then they, they now they're at, you know, let's call it $30 an hour, and then, but the branches got a little bit smaller. So now they're getting even the more, the harder work, diagnostic work and all that stuff. And they went from, you know, they went from 50 to 45 to now 40 or 38 hours a week because they're getting that stuff. And then they get to that top level and they're, oh my God, I'm an MDT. I got all my certifications. I'm there. I'm giving you 40. Well, guess what? You get the hardest job stuck on them where a job is going to take you six hours to diagnose, but you only got paid two hours on it. We're telling you we're going to do that, right? Well, if I'm a technician, I'm looking at it. Where do I want to go? man, I want to stay down here. I want to be in that 18 level because I can produce 50, 60 hours and I'm mm -hmm. still making more money than what these guys, you know, or even close to it. And I don't have all the headaches. I'm not beating my brain against the wall and doing all that. Right. And I call it the upside down because we need to flip that and we need to make sure that, Hey, at the end of the day, we don't, we, it, the, the way that the pay structure goes, the more certifications they get, it's almost like we punish technicians. And we say, okay, hey, we're going to give you this. Yes, we're giving you $40 an hour, but yet now the breadth of jobs that you can do are here mm -hmm. versus here mm -hmm. because we're not giving you the oil changes. We're not giving you the 30 Ks. We're not giving you the break jobs, the alignments and all that, because we're giving it to these guys down here to keep them productive and them busy. And that's where one of the biggest problems in our industry is, I think. And, and we have to fit, we have to fix that. And I think genuinely speaking, being able to talk about it, being having a high value leader as a mechanic, being able to talk about that, being punished for what you know. And I've, I've said this before, and, and uh, Russell Wickham is, is a great, eloquent technician capable of discussing this at length. Um, being able to understand that you shouldn't be punished for knowing more and understand that having the service a high value leader is going to look at your your last you know last two weeks your last month and go jesus you only got 30 hours a week for the last four weeks like what's what's going on is it, it, it am i missing something because it, it looks like you've had some good jobs and it's like being able to have that one month conversation like i haven't ha i haven't done a break flush in a month I haven't done break. I haven't done a break service. I haven't done a 30k or 40k break service in six weeks, and a service leader going, okay, okay, that's that's got to change. We we some we got to make sure that the the ERO is set up properly to make sure that your mix is coming in right. We're gonna make sure that we got eyeballs on what you're doing every day for the next little bit to make sure that when work is dispatched to you, it's a little bit better balanced because I don't need you 
brain dead after five days straight doing nothing but challenging deep six five module loss diagnostics you don't want to come in on monday morning to do another one you want to come in on monday morning and do like a 12 hour break job and and uh uh services and flushes so that you can get your mind right get your money right for a day and and, and clean up and, and make some money like those are the kinds of conversation that only high value leaders are having but see, this is where this is exactly why you just made my point. Exactly why I am I'm I was I'm so insistent on every store I ever have having that SPM and SDPM because they see that every day and know it. They live, they breathe it. They know that this technician's been stuck on a couple jobs. So you're not waiting until the end of the pay period or two pay periods and then going through and saying, Hey, why are you low on hours? Well, because I, I haven't gotten any you know, we'll call it gravy, right? I haven't gotten any gravy work because I've been doing all these. No, these guys already know that. So these guys communicate and he says, okay, hey, this he's had these last two, guess what? Now it's gonna go over to him and we're gonna get there and we're gonna get this throughput going in there, right? And exactly. that's exactly why, that is one of the key reasons why I put those in because it takes, because that service manager has so much stuff to do. And I'm not, you know, and I, I'm hard on my service managers. I am because I want them to know everything about their store. But the problem is if they don't have the if they don't have the tools set up for them to be successful, the service managers as, as well, I'm saying, then to understand and know everything, they can't know all that. I don't care who they are. They can be the best in the world, say I die, I, I, I track everything, I do all this. There's only so much time in the day, right? You can't be that admin, that HR, that all this stuff, and still understand the dispatching in the shop and understand where everything's going and how it's going. No, you're reactive is what happens. And we make these reactive decisions and we need to, you know, we need to be more proactive. Well, the only way to be proactive is that 80-20 rule, right? 100%. And making sure that that we have that going in there. And I and I read a um, an article, this was about two months ago, um, that it was pretty alarming to me. And it was talking, now we all know the technician shortage, right? So we talk about that, we get, that's that's a real problem in the industry. But what was really alarming to me is the technicians that are coming into our industry. It had said that in the, so a, a typical, I think NADA came out and said a, a B-level technician, um, the annual tur turnover rate in 2022 was like 24, 26%, right? Yeah, I think it was, it was something high. Yeah, it was like 20, well, I think they were saying the top one is the service consultants like 40% and then the second, the, literally the second line of that thing was was B-Tech and that's 28% yeah. or something like that, yeah. Correct, but the, the other one was is these new technicians coming in, they called it a 24-month deal. They said that there's there's almost 50% turnover to where those technicians, now, now keep in mind what happened, and this is where I blame the stores, right? Because that technician, was in school, wanted to be a technician, was excited, right? They want to do this. They come in and within 24 months, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Okay. Number one, they have the wrong, they have no leadership in the shop that can help these people get there. But I also believe it's because we push them way too fast. And we're like, Hey, you're going to be a flat rate technician. You can make a lot of money. Well, that technician now, 
they they see it in their mind and they're like, man, this is fantastic. This is awesome because I'm making a lot of money because they're doing the easy, they're doing the breaks, they're doing all that stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, after about a year and a half of that, then they start getting a little bit more jobs. They get start getting a little bit more. Well, they had no training or experience in this diagnostic diagnostic stuff, right? And now all of a sudden, they're they're overwhelmed. They can't do it. So that now they're now all of a sudden they were making a hundred hours, let's call it or, or 60 hours in that week, right? If they get paid weekly, 60 hours. Well, now it just dropped down to 30. And and that's what at the same pay pushing them at the same pay, correct? Because yep. because they were okay with that pay. Because remember, they were they were okay with the 16, 18 bucks an hour because of the fact they were making so much so many hours mm -hmm. because they were doing all this work. And then they start throwing it in there, start throwing it in there, and it's like, hmm. Okay, so that's pretty alarming to me to see that 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 stat was that high, and that shows that there is a lack of leadership in the shops. Agreed, and and I think it there's a, a couple of things that go into there, and, and service managers are on so much pressure to to produce and and make sure that their GP at the end of the month is hitting on target, and make sure their revenue is hitting on target, and their dollars per row, and so on and so forth, as well as hiring and so forth, and keeping the ranks full. That we've lost sight and and this is where i think some of the states um because i think some are somewhat still adopting this mantra but the apprentice like we're mm -hmm. talking about a trade mechanics mm -hmm. it's a trade and 50 years ago um and and still in here in canada it's still an apprenticeship you have to get hired at a, at a, at a dealership or an independent shop and you have to be registered as an apprentice and you have to do a certain amount of hours of work quantified by the by the employer and the government. You have to do it somewhere. And that hours, it's not a thousand hours. It's not six months. It's it's right now it's 7,200 hours. It's like six years, right? It's five to six wow. years worth of hours. And yeah. here in Canada, we have a booklet that we have to fill out and have our mentor or our teacher, whoever in the shop sign off on that we've completed these series of jobs. And there's lots of jobs in there. And without having that mentorship like a journeyman have like this is this is the whole point smiths still do this to this day and and you know there are are sushi chefs in japan that go through five years learning how to make rice right we're, we're talking about an apprenticeship program to teach uh, mostly young people how to become a successful safe efficient and productive mechanic in our trade that is not something you can do inside of two years Right. You can you can train, you can give somebody all the certification in the world, all the ASEs in the world. You can send them to all the brand training and you can coach them up. But you are not going to get an A tier tech in two years. Period. Bar none. No matter how much that they say they can produce, because I've talked to them. Just because you can produce 60 hours does not mean you're a top tier tech, especially if it's yeah. after two years. And uh, talking to uh, Joe Chambers, they can get like a level three tech by the end of two years you, you can you can get that much training that doesn't mean that they are capable that doesn't mean they are confident that's, that does not mean that they are the most efficient productive people in the shop right it's just right. it's just not so making sure that leadership understands that bringing someone new into your shop requires time energy and effort to not only train them but to teach them what it is to be a mechanic 
understand that there are going to be good days and bad days. There are going to be good weeks and bad weeks. There are going to be challenging repairs. There's going to be easy repairs. How to cope with that day-to-day, -day, deal with the anxiety of, of looking at something that you've never looked at before, putting a multimeter on it that you may have only used a handful of times at that point, and that you still need to figure out why the damn thing doesn't start. You need to work together, maybe with your baymates, maybe with your shop foreman, that you need to figure out step by step of that diagnostic tree what each is. Make sure you're doing your tests properly. Make sure you're documenting what you're doing properly, doing it step by step and learning it and getting better. I love to say slow is smooth, smooth is fast because you have to do it slow before you can do it smooth. And before you can do it smooth, before you can do it fast, you have to do it smooth. It has to be a linear progress. And jumping somebody into $18 an hour and after two years, all the training, all of well, they can do the jobs. Well, no, they can't confidently enough because most things, it takes a thousand hours of doing one thing to become an expert at it. Well, you're not going to, it's 2000 hours a year. We work. That's 4,000 hours. That means a 25% of their, to be an expert at any one thing they haven't got yet. Right. Well, and think about the fact, think about the factories, right? I mean, you, the te technicians, that's why I, I like calling them engineers actually really right because you guys are expected to fix okay problems that the engineers have created and haven't even discovered yet and you're you're asked to fix that right mm -hmm. and yet we want you to fix that fast why did it take so long to fix that well i mean it, at the end of the day i mean it's it's all about we've never seen these problems before and the and the the higher the the more advancement of these cars, the harder it's going to get, right? To actually start diagnosing these cars and start going through them and get that stuff done. So again, that's why I have such love for technicians is because number one, I I know I can't do it. One, I was told I couldn't do it, which we all know, right? Mm -hmm. And but at the end of the day, I always get mad at, when people get mad at technicians. You know, hey, they made a mistake. They did this. They did that. Right? It's like, yeah, okay. Can you do that job? No. Did we force them to go faster? No, we didn't force them to go faster. Yeah, we did because we're paying them on hours mm -hmm. that, he, that he turns. So, so the, the, I mean, the mental stage is, Hey, let's, let's, we got to go faster, right? We got to get this thing done faster. So you skip steps to make some money. That's what, I mean, and I love your, your quote and, and how you do that. Right. But in reality, what happens is they end up going faster. They skip steps because, hey, I got to get this done. And then next thing you know, we're throwing parts at it. Yeah. And, 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 and when you skip steps, it leads to complacency, right? Complacency absolutely. is the yep. biggest killer of not only confidence, but of business. Because you get a complacent absolutely. tech who's, especially if you add uh, complacency to arrogance, you get a complacent, arrogant technician you literally have a bomb waiting to go off. That is one step away from Absolutely. a wheel being left loose on a customer and they die. That is that is all it takes. And I don't think enough credence is given to something to that nature. And when folks who don't understand the job thoroughly enough laugh about, you know, or, or joke or make satire about technician failures, it's like somebody can die. Like you, you, you talk about, you know, what's the difference between a, a surgeon and a mechanic? There's not much. There really isn't mm -hmm. much. We have to constantly, constantly, constantly learn, especially if you're in a dealership, especially if you're in a dealership, you have to constantly learn. And it's, and we're not talking about, you know, my wife is a chiropractor. She is mandated by her colleagues that she requires 40 hours 
of um, self-education every year. 40, right? That's that's not a small number, but it's 40. I would surmise that tech, as technicians who work in a dealership who want to work on uh, the, the, the current model year as it comes every time, we're probably 40 to 80 hours a year of training to keep on top of it. Not to just keep our skills up, but to keep to get more skills, to learn more about new product. The cool thing that the big difference between surgeons and doctors and mechanics is that, yes, we are learning more about the body as we go, but the body hasn't changed. Body hasn't changed in a really, really, really long time. If you look at a 2020... Well, mine has. Mine has. <laughs> mine has too. Two broken knees and a broken shoulder. But you look at a 2024, look look what's in all the current lineups of 2024. Right, look at look at what was in the lineup in twenty and in the year two thousand, the year before I really started slinging wrenches. Like there was still carburetors out there, for God's sake. Like genuinely, there is still carburetors in cars. Now there's still carburetors put in cars in in places in the world today, but that means that technicians of today who happen to work on everything, we're talking from 1970 to 2024, you have 54 years of uh, mechanical evolution happening in front of our eyes that they're, they have to be able to fix. You walking into an independent store that is really good at marketing, like they've got Paul Meyer and they've got Russell Hill on their, on their marketing teams being able to go, okay, you're an independent store, here's 100 cars a day, and they range from 1970 to 2024. That top tier tech has to be able to work on it all. They have to understand what the float what the float in a carb does and how it affects it run. They have to understand that if they set the float wrong, they're not gonna get the right amount of fuel. And if they're not getting the right amount of fuel, they're gonna run rich and run lean, it's gonna run like a bag. They also have to realize that they have to be able to set up a, a four channel scope on a misfire on a 2024. Like two completely different animals for basically the same problem, running lean, running rough, right? Doctors don't have to do that. No, you're right. You're right. It is absolutely right. Now, I so I ask you a quick question as a technician. What do you think? What do you think the biggest hurdle is for a technician right now? In let, let's say for producing, let, forget the the training. Let's say we got a full shop of technicians that are of Josh's and they're trained. What's the biggest hurdle for for technicians to be to make to make a good living? My number one rule is having a high value leader, period. Okay. I, it, it, I agree with that. Um, there, I, I genuinely believe that there is nothing more important than having a high value leader. I, 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 there is no amount of, of questions that don't come back to leadership. If, a, a, as you say, you've brought up something that I've never heard before, which is making my brain tingle, which is SPM, SDPM. The concept of having people, so you've got, so in that store, you'd have a service manager and an SDPM, and you'd have a parts manager, and you'd have an SDPM, sorry, SPM, your service um, service production manager, you're basically your shop foreman whose entire focus is making sure everybody's good and taken care of in the shop floor. You have four managers now where usually you only have one or two, right? You have four people who have their job descriptions set forth very, very specifically on what their roles are, and they are empathetically created to make sure the entire team is taken care of. And if you are not a service manager capable of having that mindset, 
making sure that you understand why you've got a $90,000 a year SDPM, why you've got a $90,000 a year SPM in the shop and how much that's not only lifting morale and ethics, but your ability to produce and how you produce and being able to uh, be the perfect fire, fire person for the shop and for the drive. Being in that mindset as a leader is almost not trainable. I believe it's it's almost not trainable because if you don't care, and that's that's the my first primary trait to look for in a leader is do they care? Because if they care, they will be bettering themselves. If they care, they will be looking to better their team. Whoever you're talking about, whether it's parts, uh, a service shop floor, or the service drive, if they care, they will lift everyone. Now. Is there an aspect? Can they care too much? Yes, they might be caring too much. They might be giving somebody three chances when they should have only had one. They might be looking at that toxic high producer on the service driver or on the shop floor going, I'm going to give him another chance. I, you know what? He's, he's really high production. They care about the individual more than they care about the team. There's a balance there, but high value leadership and the high value leaders that care, that would be the biggest hurdle. Once that's crossed, once ownership and, and, and GMs and DPs look at, at that as a primary focus, if they if their service leader doesn't care, they're not a high value leader. But get a high value leader in there and see what happens to the shop. Like it's it's yep. it's miraculous in my opinion. I agree with you. And I think the I think the the reason why I asked you that question, and I I, I would agree with you in the in the terms of uh, the high value leader. I love that that concept. Um, but to me it's it, to me it's turnover right and what what's killing the shop is a turnover you just you just said the number that we all read because uh, it, it just came out right 40 percent on the service drive right mm -hmm. and what what is that what is the reason and i know we we always say oh and when and, and i i absolutely hate when people make excuses and say ah it's retail it's a car business you're gonna have turnover no the turnover is you have that turnover when you have when you don't have a high volume leader right but again what my what I do and what I wanted to do and what I've always done and thus the reason why I started what I did was because I want to take away some all segment the things for people not I don't want one person handling everything right let this person handle this section right and I'm going to go go to, to the used car so I always dummy this down for GMs and I say hey why do you have a new car manager and why do you have a used car manager right well, why don't you just have one? Well, the, the thing is, is they concentrate. And then what happens is, well, you have your salespeople. And if those salespeople are struggling to get that sale, what happens? They call it, they take a turn, right? And then that sales manager goes in, and he takes that turn and he, he helps them go through that, right? Well, same exact thing on the service drive. So whoever takes a turn 100%. for a struggling service advisor, how do we know that the service advisor doesn't isn't confident enough to celebrate plus isn't confident enough to sell a tire and overcome why the cheap tires that are, you know, in a, you know, uh, I don't want to say mom and pop, I shouldn't put that, you know, in there, but why they have these, you know, these these aftermarket tires that are so cheap. They're not confident enough in selling the value of what we're doing, right? And why we have these things. So now you have that SDPM, that's their job, is they monitor and they see, okay, hey, this person, we watch all of all of these jobs by penetration percent. And we say, okay, brakes, tires, all the safety related main important things, they're struggling. So guess what? I walk up to Josh and I say, hey, Josh, today, anytime you have uh, a tire sale, 
potential or you have this come get me and I'm going to, I'm going to be with you when you do this. And then that person is going to go through and they're going to sell that job with, with that advisor. Right. And here's, what's going to happen is that SDPM now is going to sell that job and that advisor is going to get paid for it. Right. But here's the thing. They're only going to get paid for it for about the first two to three times after that, the service, the SDPM then is going to go to them and say, okay, now I've done this with you three times and you should be good enough. Now you, you should have learned enough now to be able to do this because some people we know just can't do it. They don't have the confidence. They're never going to have the confidence, but at least now we have somebody concentrating on that confidence because that's exactly what kills the shop is I always go through. It's that throughput percentage, man. What is my throughput percentage per stall? Because that is the number that is key to everything in that shop. And it's killed by the, the long approval weights, the, the, the no, you know, the, um, the authorizations, right? Are we actually selling and our penetration percent is pretty high. And if they're not, who's concentrating on it? Service manager is never concentrating on it, right? Nope. So that is why we have to get that turnover down because as these guys, as these people get more seasoned and experienced, your shop just miraculously starts to change, mm -hmm. right? It's because of the fact that we have, we have people concentrating on certain aspects, exact same thing with the SPM, right? That SPM is going to take that turn for a technician that is struggling on a job. Now he's not taking the job. He's going with them and saying, Hey, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow step A through step C, stop at C and come get me. And we're gonna, you're gonna tell me what you got. Then I'm gonna guide you to the next step, right? Because now they're forcing that person to go through those steps as you had said before, mm -hmm. right? Follow the steps, go through it, okay? Slow is good sometimes. So go through those steps, but they're taking that turn now and they're forcing them to do that. But what is it also doing in the backside? It's giving them confidence because they know they have a leader that's in that shop that is not going to be pissed at them because of the fact that they're struggling. They need help with this job. They need, you know, they need help with selling this job. They have somebody, they have the confidence that I got somebody behind my back that's going to help me do this. 100%. And, and what you're, what, that right what I, I'm, what I'll, I'll add to that is if they don't, if, if technicians listening don't have a shop foreman or as as eloquent as an SPM in their shop, and you're getting, um, we'll we'll use the negative connotation. If you're getting harassed by your service management, or even the service advisors, like why it's taking you so long to do this, or why aren't you making this, or blah 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 blah. If you haven't been in a coaching session with me, you won't have heard me say this. So in this circumstance, I'm going to say it. You need to get out a notebook or use your phone, I don't care which, or, or the desktop that's in front of you, make a notepad and start documenting the time between the time, okay? Jim brought up this really great uh, statement here in, in a second ago is the long wait times. We find ourselves as mechanics with a, with a, a job on the hoist, the wheels off, trying to sell a brake job or trying to set a set of ball joints or whatever the case may be. And you're standing there in your stall. You've already finished off the maintenance. You've done everything else you possibly can. And you're standing there waiting for somebody for approval. You need to start documenting that time because dollars to dollars to donuts. You haven't punched off the maintenance. You're still running time on the job because otherwise you'd be on to the next job, right? So you're running time. Now that time is no longer documented as work that you're producing. That's now 
unproductive time that you're running time on. Write down the time that you are spending between the time you're doing work. If your hands are not on the car, you're not making money. It also means if your hands aren't on the car, you aren't making the business any money. Write down what you're doing in the time between the time that you aren't making money. Like had to go to the tool room, had to spend 20 minutes looking for a tool. Document it. March 26th, 10 a.m. to 10.15 a.m. looking for a special service tool number 557 Sukes. Write it down because one of the big key ingredients to many service managers when they ask you, you know, why aren't you making time? Well, I had to do this and I had to do this. Oh, well, you, you know, you're just jerking around. Well, no, flip, 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 flip into my notes onto, Jan onto March 26. Hey, Jan March 26, I looked for a tool for 15 minutes. It was this tool. On March 28th, I looked for this tool. On March 29th, I had to wait 45 minutes for an okay. I documented here, I went three times as service advisor, like, have you sold the job yet? Have you sold the job yet? No. Do you have something for me to bring in? No. So not only did you document that you were wasting 45 minutes of production, you had asked for additional work that you could do behind the job so that you could be productive and there was nothing there, right? A service manager can't do anything if you can't tell them what's wrong. Period, bar none. Even if they haven't got it set up, especially if they've got it set up as well as, as Jim has with an SPM, SDPM. If they don't know what's wrong specifically, they can't specifically fix it. No different than we as mechanics. If you can't say that the noise clunking over bumps at 60 kilometers an hour on the left-hand turn at Albuquerque, they don't know that it's that it's a ball joint. If you don't tell them specifically, okay, there's 60 thou play in the left front lower ball joint. Well, we have to tell them specifically so just like the resting, when I talk about in, in, in my coaching sessions and, and how it comes out in the survey, working environments matter. If the special service tools aren't properly laid out or labeled or back and in place and clean, if the special service tools like the AC machine isn't clean or working all the time, something's wrong with it. If they don't know those things specifically, they can't help you. Don't complain, write it down, make a comment literally and specifically. When you are specific, you take the subjective emotional nature of your concern out of it and you put a physical objective concern in its place. No one objects to fact. The AC machine only works half the time. That is not an emotional statement. That is a, I go to it on March 26th and it didn't work. I go to it on March 27th, it worked. That's a fact. Nobody's going to debate the fact. They are going to abate, well, every time I go to it, it doesn't work. Well, no service manager is going to take you service seriously. I, as a coach, I'm not going to take you seriously yep. if you tell me that in a session. So tell me objectively, tell your service manager objectively, or write it down. Like dancing, dancing is not the steps. Dancing is the steps between the steps that make the flare happen. So look, uh, can I tell you one, one thing, one last thing? Shoot. So let me just... Let me just tell you this. So I, I, I did something and this is uh, something that is outside. Obviously, I'm, everybody will tell you I'm kind of crazy and outside the box all the time. So I had a store that was struggling with their throughput and and we went through and I knew exactly what it was. Right. It was number one. It was laziness, but it was also just uh, the, the pay plans that this store had already had. I had taken over as fixed op director and they were just being paid kind of they were paid too much for not doing, not selling and, and doing that, the advisor side. So the technician struggled though, because the throughput wasn't there. So on a Saturday, I had the SDP or SDPM, SPM, and then the service manager in the, in the, in a meeting that we were going in. And 
this was on a Thursday, I think it was. And on Saturday, I'm like, hey, here's your here's the approval ratings, right? And if I look at this, it's taking over an hour and a half to get an approval. And our closing percents are really low on any of these. So there's an issue there, right? And this is this is us as leaders. This is our problem. So that Saturday, I said, hey, here's what we do. I pulled them all in. And I got with the, the, and this was the SPM. It was his, his job completely. And I said, anything that is safety related, safety related, if it needs to be done, if it's brakes and they're at a safety measure that they got to be done tires, I don't care what it is. It's your job. You're doing the job. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, you do the job and service manager goes, well, what if they haven't gotten the approval? You better get it because they're doing the job. He says, well, what if the customer declines it? Then they just, you're gonna walk up to them, shake their hand and say, hey, this was a safety item and I, we realized that you needed it done. It's a good part about doing business with us because we just took care of it for you. And we costed it out and we did it. Let me tell you something. They had the highest sales they've ever had that week, that Saturday, because he was so worried about eating those jobs. And I told the S SPM in that store, and I told him, I don't care, You, I'm holding you accountable you look at it don't don't manipulate this if you think it's a safety related issue you tell a technician don't wait for the approval go get the parts put it on if they don't sell it you're still getting paid for it because we're going to cost it out and do it and guess what they one job the rest of them that service manager was there that saturday making sure that he was helping those service advisors and sdpm to make sure that the closing percents were there because he did not want to eat those jobs miraculously all of a sudden the closing percents went up. Wow. That that's that's a ballsy move and it paid off in spades. And the and it's not just paid off in spades on that day. It's that's going to pay off every day thereafter. Right? How Absolutely. important like Paul Meyer preaches this to the to the wall and I agree with him. Tires are the foundation of business. They are the foundation of our business. And the cool thing is going forward until they make flying cars a thing and it becomes a, a, a real thing. Even EVs, electric vehicles still have still tires. tires. We are still going to sell tires. Yeah. We're going to still s sell suspension. We're still going to sell all of the stuff related tires and brakes. It is the core of our business and it's not going anywhere. So if you can't sell tires and brakes, there is something wrong. If you don't have processes in place, like Jim just, just said, if you don't have processes in place, you're gonna drown, right? And as technicians, Absolutely. if we are not checking tires and brake on every single car, and it's like, yeah, I get in session all the time. It's like, why am I checking this? I'm not getting paid for it. It's like, you're coming to me that you're not making enough money, but you're not checking every single car for tires and brakes. Yep. Do you, do you, do you like money? Like these are like, I, I, I can, I, I can be empathetic during session and I can, I can coddle you if you need to. But if you are generally telling me that you aren't making enough money and the first, and the first thing that I asked you after I talk about what makes you, makes you happy and what do you like doing when a car is in your bay, check the tires, check the brakes, period. End of chat. Make a note on the work order, tires, front tires at this rear tires at this front brakes at this rear brakes at this even if it's just for peace of mind for the customer the customer knows that every single time that this mechanic has checked my car they are making sure i'm safe that in itself will make you as a mechanic more money than you can imagine why because you have created a trust 
and respectful relationship with a customer. They know that every time they see number 127 on a work order, shout out to my buddy Phil, because somehow I can remember his technician number and not my own. But every time they see 127 on a work order, they're going to know they're taken care of. They're going to know that they're leaving that shop, even if it's just for an oil change, that they're safe. That yep. trust and respect is felt through the rest of the shop. That trust and respect is felt with leadership. If you want to get, if you're the type of individual that is looking for a promotion to SPM or a shop foreman, that is the kind of thing that you need to do on every single repair order to build trust and respect for the rest of the team so that somebody wants to promote you, right? It's not high production numbers. The best leaders aren't necessarily high production numbers. The best leaders are the ones that are probably B players, but they help everybody, right? Yeah. They're the Absolutely. lifting in the shop. So yeah, to, I guess to make sure that we've had lots of mic drops in here, like you were dropping left. I, I'm going to ask you for a bunch of stuff after we, we stop recording. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the, the make sure that we answer this one simple question and it might take you five seconds to answer. It might take you a, a while to respond to, but what's one thing that in your career, because you spent time as a mechanic too, um, but over your career, what's one thing that you can, give to a mechanic somewhere to help them be happier tomorrow? I would say as like you said, have, have confidence in yourself, right? Have confidence in yourself and know that you can get through anything and you can learn anything as long as you devote that time to it. Right. If you got it, don't, I, I always say, look, you, you're either in or you're out. If, if you're, if you don't make that decision, to be in this, then you might as well get out of it, right? But once you decide to do this, then you owe it to yourself and everybody around you, you owe it to yourself to be fully invested into it and invest in yourself, meaning the training, right? Don't wait for the stores to, to say, hey, you need this training and go there. You, you seek that training out, whether it be online, whether it be, you know, uh, asking to go to a class or something like that, but you need to have the confidence in yourself to know that, Hey, no matter what you are better than anybody else. When you put your mind to it, this is why you wanted to go down that path. So make sure that you have the confidence in yourself to get this done. Awesome. And once you decide again, once you decide to be in it, be fully invested in it. When it gets hard, don't say, ah, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to a different career. Nope. You're fully invested, figure it out. And you will, you will, you'll, you'll, you'll just, you'll throw it. You, you'll, you'll basically fly, fly higher than you ever thought you were going to fly before. Commitment. Absolute mm -hmm. commitment yep. and persistence. Awesome. That's uh, mm -hmm. yes. We, we need to make sure that the folks listening understand that once you get into this, no matter how challenging it gets, I know many folks that have left automotive and they find themselves longing to come back no matter how challenging it is, technicians included, myself included to a certain degree. When you commit to something wholeheartedly and you get challenged and then you want to leave and then you, even if you do leave, you find yourself, you committed to that. You find yourself longing to get back and to finish that, finish it out or, or, or get back to it. Commitment, confidence, have the confidence to that's yeah, that's pretty big. That's pretty big. I mean, why, why, why was Michael Jordan? And I always use it because I come from Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. So why was Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan got cut from his sophomore team in high school, right? Because he wasn't good. But what did he do? 
He, he committed to getting better. He stayed later than everybody. He shot a thousand shots a day when everybody else was out doing things because of the fact that he was like, nope, I want to be the best. His competitive edge was better than anybody else's. And everybody needs to have that competitive edge to say, and when competitive, that doesn't mean cutthroat. That doesn't mean push people out, do any of that kind of stuff, competitive. Competitive edge means I'm going to be better than the guy next to me, but I'm also gonna help that person get to the point that I'm at because we're all better together, right? And, and everybody in the shop is gonna be better together, whether it, it, it's, it's, even though it's still competitive, you wanna, don't ever lose that competitive edge. And I tell people that. We always say, hey, we, you know, I have people that never wanted to display the hours in the shop. Why? I want people to see what everybody else is at, right? And if I, as a leader, can talk to them, if I have a technician that comes to me and says, hey, that person right there, see, that's not fair. He got 90 hours and I'm only at 60. As long as I, as a leader, fully understand those hours and know why that person is higher, I can then talk to Josh and say, hey, Josh, here's the reason why. Because that person eats at his box, his lunch, right? Not saying he should, but he decided he wants to eat at his box. He And he takes the time to make sure that he's fully devoted to what he's doing. You're on your phone, you're doing all this stuff. You're going at the parts counter, standing there for 10 minutes, talking to these people and doing all that. How much unproductive time, and I like the, what you said, is take the notes on, and it's not always about that. You said take the notes on the, the non-working stuff, right? That you had said, I, I can't remember exactly it, what you The said. time between the time. But, but take them on yourself too. Yep. But take them on yourself too, because that will also explain to you and see when you do that roadmap, you're gonna be like, damn, man, I'm, I'm, losing, I'm losing almost an hour, hour and a half a day of production on non-productive stuff for my own point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we can talk about the, the, the stores side too, but fix yourself first and commit to yourself to being the best. And then you'll be our, you'll, you'll, you'll never have to look back. hundred percent. Self-reflection is, is the key, is one of the keys to leveling up. It's a, it's a, it's a really big key. And, uh, few that have session with me, take on the commitment to better themselves in that regard. It's usually, well, the service drive sucks or the service manager sucks or, or whatever the case may be. And they want to be very victim. They, they want to be victim and many don't last more than a session. Um, they've got the courage enough to ask, but then they realize very quickly that they have to do some really hardcore self-reflection first to realize that they might be their own worst enemy. Right, reflecting like how much time are you spending doing this, and that's why I tell them all: you got to write down. You got I need a notebook for you every day. That way, when you know we meet in two weeks, this is what we're gonna go over. We're gonna go over your notebook. I'm not gonna go over what you passed or failed on the shop floor. I I, I don't care what you can and cannot fix. Like that's that's to me that's not important because that's that's experience and training. At some at some point, you're gonna be able to fix that faster but that's only with experience. I want to know the time between the time. I want to know what you're, who you're talking to, why you're talking to, what jobs you're getting, not because of what you're fixing, but what jobs you're getting because of whether you like them or not, right? Those kinds of things, what's your yep. communication like? Those are the kinds of things. And those are the people who are capable of self-reflection that do well with me in coaching because over a period of 90 days, we find the stuff that they enjoy doing. We find the stuff that they're wasting time on. We find the stuff that has nothing to do with technical ability that can improve their day. Right. That's those are the, those are the people that are capable of self-reflection and being humble enough to say, 
okay, this is where I'm fucking up or, oh, this is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excelling in this area. Let's do more of that. So on that Absolutely. note, Jim, 100%. is there anything that you want to promote? Is there, is there somebody you want to shout out to? Is there, is there a new product or service coming that we need to know about? What, let what say you? Um, well, I, I'll give a shout out to you, Josh, and thanks for uh, having me. Um, it's been a pleasure talking about this because, uh, you know, you anytime talking about yourself always is, is hard right in that side. But um, it's been a fantastic technician is, is uh, the technician world is always a, a really exciting thing to talk about because I think we need to do a better job, but we also need to focus on what we have today um, in there and also give a shout out to SDL, right? Because uh, that's how I met all you guys and get get down that path um, is just a, a quick, you know, if anybody needs to ever get a hold of me or do anything, um, it's Jim at chameleonlimited.com. Uh, we have uh, started a, a revolutionizing program for fixed operations to do exactly what we had talked about today. And what that is, is to basically condense all of that, the numbers, the reporting and, and figuring out where the issues are at, who's struggling and whatnot to be able to see it instantly right there. So you don't have to spend that time doing it. So now you can actually spend time with your people and processes to focus on what matters the most. Uh, stop working in your business and start working on your business. Oh no, that's the end of today's episode, wrenches. But that's okay. There will be another one coming next week. Thank you, Jim, for taking the time out of your day to spend it with us. We really appreciate it. That was absolutely insightful. Those two little acronyms there found in the middle. Oh, there's a lot of people going to find that and just drop their jaw on the floor like I did. Folks, please subscribe to the Wrenchner's podcast and your stream service of choice. Make sure you don't miss the next episode when it drops. As usual, a quote until next week. A little bit of time management thrown in here. Be like a postage stamp. Stick to one thing until you get there. Josh Billings. A little last little bit of paperwork here. The YouTube channel is up and cracking along. I appreciate all of you that have been watching the videos as we go and, and commenting as we go. We've also rolled 1,500 subscribers on the Wrenches for Wrenches newsletter. I really appreciate you all reading and listening and commenting and so on and so forth on, on the newsletter. That's very helpful to get their message out there. We're nearly 25% of the way to our 10,000 listens goal for 2023 on the Wrenches podcast. So please, if you haven't already, like comment, share, and subscribe to the Registrar's Podcast on your streaming service of choice. Really help us grow to help as many technicians as we can. And remember, folks, negative pushes, positive pulls, and always clean your toys before you put them away.